carefully observed Olympic sprinters, especially in the like the hundred meter dash. These sprinters are the absolute definition of focus, aren't they? I mean, even leading up to the race, they have their routines, you know, the things that the songs they listen to, the stretches they do, right? All that, the way they shake their limbs out, the way they approach the starting blocks, okay? They get into the, the starting blocks, you know, they get ready to take their position, but they dig it out, they make sure they have everything just right. Of course, their, their shoes are just right, you know, tied exactly how they want them, the right shoes, spray painted the right color, of course, right? Like all the, all the attention to detail, they get down in that crouch finally for the race when the, when the officials tell them to take their position. And they take the positions, right? And I mean, every ounce of energy in their body, every muscle, right? Every cell is oriented on that finish line, right? They're, they're ready to go. They're, they're locked and they're just, they're just waiting for that gun to go off and they can shoot out of those blocks, right? What you never see in the Olympics for these racers as they're, as they're ready to, to launch this race, you don't see them looking around. Like, you know, up in the stands, like at their cousin, you know, who made the trip, right? Or like checking out the weather, like, is it going to rain right before the, like, you know, looking at that, right? There's no distraction. Once the gun goes off, they're not walking, right? And even if they were jogging or running and they wouldn't be looking around at what's around them, kind of like, no, hey, check that guy's a nice shirt on, you know, like just, you know, distracted by their environment. Like, whoever designed the stadium, that's amazing, like, look at this work that they did, right? Looking at the architecture of it, right? Or thinking about the, the dinner they had the night before, you know? But that was the best Thai restaurant I've ever been to, you know? Like, that was amazing, you know? Sauntering down the race course, right? There's no sauntering. <laughs> there's no walking. There's, there's no distractions. Because if they're not focused on the finish line, they're going to lose, if they don't know where they're going, if they're not paying attention to the race, it's like they're going to get blown out of the water. They shouldn't even be there. If they're not focused on the finish line, they're surely going to lose. I think there's a spiritual principle there for us. That too often, we're just distracted spiritually. We're like walking. And we're wandering spiritually. We're just sauntering through our lives. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at this. Like we're walking through a pleasant garden, right? Oh, look at that. What a nice flower. Look at this. There's no intensity to our spiritual pursuit. There's no passion driving us to not walk but run. And there's certainly no awareness of where we are going. And frankly, it costs us spiritually. I wonder this morning, are you wandering spiritually? Are you just kind of, you know, if I feel it, maybe? Are you walking? Sometimes we're focused on the wrong thing, right? Where if we're looking at the wrong point of focus, like, okay, I got distracted by that shirt in the stands, and that's messed me up, and then the race, you know, that's it, right? So sometimes we're focused on the wrong thing, and it's to our spiritual detriment, Right? So we're not focusing on what matters most, and we're just distracted. And so that costs us in the race. I wonder where our energy is focused today spiritually. What we're looking at, what we're thinking on, what's most prominent in our field of vision spiritually. So sometimes we're focused on the wrong thing, 
But sometimes we're not focused on anything. We're living like we have spiritual, you know, ADD. Like we're just like squirrel, squirrel. You know, we're just like, you know, looking around all over the place. And we don't have any sense of, hey, this is, this is what I'm about. This is where I'm headed. This is where I'm going. You know, I, it's, it's funny. I mean, the publishing of books is, trust me, I keep them in business, okay? You know, there, there's a lot of blessing that can come from a quality resource. But sometimes I think the, the Christian publishing world especially has become more of a distraction than a help. There's just so much to look at. There's so much to focus on. I wonder if, if we haven't lost sight of the race and what we're called to. The sprinters aren't watching the sky, the crowd, their coach, their friends, their family. They are focused, every ounce of energy they have, on that race and the finish line. Because they have to focus on the end to run the race well. I think that's what's going on in Revelation. This book is not an optional Christian pursuit. And too often, that's how people view Revelation. Oh, when I get really spiritually mature, then I'll get to Revelation. Or maybe never because there's so many differences of opinions or because it's so weird, wacky. I, I, you know, I won't ever you know, kind of mess with it or I, I won't uh, take a serious look at it. But let me just tell you that God has gifted us the book of Revelation so that we can run the race well. We need to know about the finish line. We need to know where we're going in order to run well today. So the, the book of Revelation is a gift to us. This book was not gifted to the church to satisfy eschatological curiosity. Now, those are $2 words, but here's the deal, okay? Eschatological curiosity. Just, I'm just curious about the end times, right? And I'm just, you know, I, I'm just, I just would like to know what's going to happen at the end. Or, I think now's the end times, right? And so I want to read Revelation so I can get confirmation that now is the end times, it was not given, given to us to satisfy eschatological curiosity. There are a lot of things about the end times in Revelation, but that's not the primary purpose of the book, to answer those questions. Revelation was not given to us to justify personal or political agendas. There's a big warning about politics in Revelation. We're going to get that, and, I, and we need it desperately as a culture. And I don't care um, who you are or, or what your views are. You need to know what the book of Revelation says about worldly political agendas or personal agendas. Or what I think I need to get out of my career or out of my family or out of my friends or whatever. So this book is not given to justify us just doing what we want or to support our political platform. It was not given to us to provide us with a secret decoder ring to read headlines with. You know about this? this do you even know what a decoder ring is? Okay, whatever. Do, look it up. All right, anyway, you know, it's like, that's from the old days. But here. Here's the deal, right? It's not, it's not a secret code, so you can take it, and then you can, like, read the headlines, and be like, oh, see, we're in phase one, section three, vision two, bowl seven. Okay, here we go. Like, now I can see what's going to happen next, right? And that's what, honestly, frankly, that's what people want often when we come to Revelation. We want the timeline. We want to know where we are, and we want to know where Trump fits in that timeline, right? <laughs> Whatever your view is, like, he's in there somewhere. We just got to figure out where, right? Like, that's, that's kind of how we come to it. But brothers and sisters, I mean, you know, all the, all the teasing aside, here's the reality. We are running the race right now. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are in this race. And there is a burden by the Spirit of God that we would run the race well. 
that we wouldn't be distracted, that we wouldn't mistakenly mosey through our spiritual existence, but that we would run with purpose. And if you're going to run with purpose, you need to know what God reveals in this book. You need to have your eyes on the finish line. Now, how is this encouragement to us? Let's find out. So let's pick it up in chapter 1, verse 1 here. There we read, the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, stop right there. I'm just going to give you four words. The revelation of Je- five words. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's count them out. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Five words. Okay, there we go. Uh, listen, this book is a revelation, okay? It simply means that something that was hidden is being made clear or made available to you, right? That term is often used of a genre of literature in prophetic literature where a prophet is taken on a journey and given a, a vision that's important to God's people, and he delivers that. We'll talk more about that in a minute as we get the rest of verse 1 and verse 2. But here, I just want to focus on specifically those three words of Jesus Christ. It's a revealing, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That phrase could be taken in two ways and probably is supposed to be taken in both of these ways. It's a revelation about Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus. And we're going to, in chapter 1, we're going to get a revelation of Jesus. We can see him more clearly. But it's also the revelation that comes from Jesus Christ. He is both its, its topic and its author. Or for the sake of your notes there this morning, Jesus is, he is what? He is uh, the giver and the topic of revelation. He's the source and the subject. Okay, he's the giver and the topic. So it's the revelation of Jesus. It's given to us about Jesus, but crucially, it's given to us by Jesus. Now, just let's just acknowledge it there for, for a minute. This fact that we need to hear from Jesus about Jesus. We need to hear from Jesus about Jesus. Revelation is given to the apostle John. Okay, we'll get that in just a minute. And John, during this phase of his life, it's probably later in his life, he is actually in exile because of his association with Jesus, because he's an apostle, because he's preaching the gospel. He has been uh, persecuted so much so that he is now having to live out the, the rest of his life on exile on an island in the Mediterranean called Patmos. Okay, and so it was a punishment. It was persecution. And so he was having a very rough time. His experience was maybe extreme, but nonetheless, the church at large in the Roman Empire, when this revelation was given, was going through varying degrees of persecution. Sometimes it was as bad as like John getting exiled. Sometimes it was as bad as apostles being executed. And sometimes it was more the like you lost your job or didn't get the promotion or you got a dirty look at the family gathering kind of persecution. But nonetheless, Christianity was new to the Roman Empire. It did not fit with the, the, um, the morals and the kind of philosophical basis of the Roman Empire, certainly not the religious pluralism of the Roman Empire. And so Christians were weird, and they weren't, they weren't favored, okay? So you were not like going to you know, be going up in rank when you said that you became a follower of Jesus. You were going to go down in rank. In those circumstances, when, when it gets harder to be a Christian, and by the way, that's one of the reasons I think now is a great time for us to look at this book as a church family, because it's getting harder day by day for us to follow Jesus in our culture, right? So, but when, when we're having a hard time, when we're facing opposition to the gospel, the question is, what do we want to hear, right? What are the words, what are, what are the messages that we're looking for? 
I tell you what, I want to hear that my marriage is going to be fixed, that my kids are going to be okay, that the bill is going to somehow be paid off, that the sickness is going to be cured and the, the treatment's going to work, that my job is secure, that I am going to get the bonus or the raise, that the economy is going to perform better this year, that the government is finally going to get sorted out. This time around, we're going to get it right, right? That the government's going to be fixed. Because when we're, when we're hurt, when we're struggling, and especially when we're under spiritual persecution, right? When that's going on, we want to hear particular things. We want to hear that the problem is going to be solved. We want to hear this or that's going to be happening in the short run. We don't often think, I just need to hear from and about Jesus. We might think, I want to hear from Jesus about how he's going to fix my problem. But sometimes we don't think, I need the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation from Jesus about Jesus. No doubt John would have loved to have heard about short-term relief. And hey, we're going to turn the tables on this persecution. John, guess what? The church is storming Patmos to come and rescue you in boats, right? Like, a, like an early apostolic version of Dunkirk. Like, you're just going to go get them, right? They're just going to come get you, and they're going to get you off that island. You're going to be safe, right? And, and everything's going to be great and happy and easy and painless. But Jesus decided John needed a different vision. Jesus says, John, I know that might be what you want, but you need to hear from me. You need to hear about me. Why about Jesus? I think we're all good on hearing from Jesus. Like, yeah, that makes sense, right? We should hear from Jesus. But why does it have to be about Jesus? Because all of history is centered on Jesus Christ. The Father, the Son, and the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? The Trinity, working out the plan of redemption, it centers on Jesus' death and resurrection. And so there's this natural focus and a right focus with history being centered around Jesus specifically. The question we have to ask is, am I centered on Jesus? Like, am I good with the revelation of Jesus Christ? Am I good with the revelation being from Jesus and it being about Jesus? Am I good with Jesus being the center of attention and focus? Because here's the deal. As we live our lives, we're constantly tempted to make ourselves or to make something or someone else the center of our world, right? The center of our focus and attention. But when it's all said and done, no one is going to ask, right? When it's all said and done, okay? When we're living in the New Jerusalem, okay? We're going to get there in a few months. We'll be there, okay? But we're in the New Jerusalem. We're living there. And, you're, and you know, we're, we're enjoying those streets paved with gold, okay? When that's happening... No one's going to go, so how much money did you make before? Like, where were you on the earnings, where were you on the earnings scale? You know why nobody's going to ask? Because nobody's going to care. Because the streets are paved with gold, okay? So gold is the new asphalt. Okay, that's why you got to get into digital currency, all right? Anyway, that's a, yeah. No one's going to ask, how much money did you make? Nobody's going to ask how epic or big your family was. No one's going to ask, where did you get your degree? Or what kind of grades did you get? What was your GPA? We're not going to be in the New Jerusalem going, yeah, well, what did you drive before? Like, did you have the, like, the new, you know, did you have the, the German one or the whatever? Nobody's going to ask or care which iPhone you had or which phone you had or which purse, or how far you got on Call of Duty, 
or words with friends. I don't even know what the games are these days. Whatever the games are, you know, like nobody's going to be nobody's going to be caring like about when did you get the PS5, you know. But sometimes that's all we care about, isn't it? It's just the money. It's just the job. It's just fix the family problem. It's just, it, you know, it's like that's all, that's all that's in our minds. And this is the revelation of Jesus Christ because we need the revelation of Jesus Christ today, right now. You need to hear from Jesus, but you need to hear from Jesus about Jesus. Because we have to reorient ourselves, right, to, to what Jesus is doing in history and why he is rightly the center of it. That has an impact. And we're all facing difficult circumstances. And what we're not going to do is we're not trying to, we don't want to belittle the difficulty of whatever you're going through. You're going through significant challenges, but you're not in exile on Patmos, okay? So your trial is hard. John's trial arguably was harder, okay? And even in that harder trial, Jesus says, you need to hear from me and you need to hear about me. And, you know, we think we need this. We need that. Other people, they, they, no, they did that. They got this. They got that. You're like, I got to get that. I got to get that. And we often will never say, I need just to hear from Jesus about Jesus. I just got to get re-centered here on Christ. And in many ways, that's what revelation is. It centers us on Christ by giving us the grand perspective. I wonder, you might just ask the question, what is the center of your world right now? And if it's not Jesus, it needs adjusting. What's, what is the thing you are thinking about the most? And if it's not Jesus, yeah, it needs adjusting. We've got to make those changes. So Jesus is the giver of revelation. He's the topic of the revelation. But how did he give it? Well, watch again verse 1. So back to verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants, that's us, what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. There's a couple things going on here, but I just want to focus your attention on the fact that this is indeed a vision given to John for the benefit of the church. So the word revelation, again, it carries with it that significance that it is a specific kind of prophetic literature. It's a vision. So Jesus revealed his word to John in a vision. Now, this vision was made known by the sending of an angel, okay? So when you read in the prophets, sometimes, not often, but sometimes God would, instead of giving prophets just words, he would actually give the prophet a vision, which means he would, spiritually, he would give them a, a, a journey where they would go somewhere and they were always taken by a mediator. This happened to Isaiah in chapter 6. He was taken to the throne room of God. Uh, it happened to Ezekiel four times in Ezekiel. He has these visions. It happened in Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah. Okay, so the prophets are taken on these visions and they see stuff. Daniel was, was taken on visions and they see stuff. And then they're supposed to go back to the people wherever they are uh, in whatever context they live. And they're supposed to report what they saw. That's exactly what Revelation is. It's that apocalyptic vision. So it's a vision that is given to this, this prophet, in this case, the apostle John. And it was given to him by an angel. So John had this angel who came and gave him this vision because the church needed it. The church needed to hear from Jesus about Jesus, right? And specifically, it's about what must soon take place. And let me just tell you, everybody wants to know, but how soon, right? 
I guarantee you, in the first century, they didn't think it was going to be 2,000 years. Okay? The timing, the exact timing is not important. What's most important is that we understand that what is described in Revelation, okay, not all of it is future-oriented. Most of it is. But what we read about in Revelation, okay, it is going to happen. And so it's, we say that it's imminent, that it is going to happen. But we don't know when, and guess what? We're not supposed to know when. We need to know what's going to go down generally, because there's, there's encouragement for us there, but we're not given the chronological details. If you're looking for those details, you're going to miss the point, right? You're going to miss Jesus, because you're concerned about the date, okay? Technically speaking, since the resurrection, we've been in what the Bible calls the last age, okay? So that's it. I mean, we're, it's, we're in the fourth quarter, okay? We have been in the fourth quarter for 2,000 years. So when a scary headline happens or something weird goes down, and you go, Pastor Ryan, I get this all the time, and I love you, right? Pastor Ryan, don't you think we're in the end times? I'm like, yeah, we've been in the end times for 2,000 years. Just in case, I mean, if we're keeping track, right? Yes, we're in the end times. So if you want to know, Pastor Ryan, does he think, do I think we're in the end times? Yes, we're in the end times. We've been in the end times for 2,000 years. Do I know when all this is going to go down? No, I don't know when it's all going to go down, okay? And you don't know when it's all going to go down. And if anybody tells you they know, guess what? They don't know. So that's, the, there's, some, there's some general, you know, the vagueness here in the soon. So it's going to go down. The point is the church needs it. And by the way, what is the church? Well, we the church, we are God's servants. There's already a hint here that there's a question. When you focus on Jesus, right, there's a question about, am I serving him or am I serving the king, the president, my bank account, my friends, my family, myself, right? There's a question about who am I really serving? We're going we're gonna to wrestle with that all through Revelation. It's going to keep coming up. So nonetheless, here we go. God, God gave this uh, vision to John in a revelation, or excuse me, in a vision, okay? And so he made it known by sending this angel. We'll get to that in the weeks to come. But verse 2, what did John do? Well, generally speaking, John testified, verse 2, to the word of God, the word that came from God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. So John is the apostolic authority to say, this is what Jesus said, this is what I saw. So he is the authorized delivery right, agent. He's the, he's the one delivering the message to the church. And as we, we're going to read, we're going to find out this is not just for the church in the first century that was struggling with persecution in the Roman Empire. This is for the church throughout all time, including today in New Jersey. So this, this message benefits us, and it's, and it's given testimony by John the Apostle, right? Now, what is in a vision? This is maybe one of the most important things to consider as we get into the book of Revelation, okay? Just, this is really important, okay? The vision is not security camera footage of the future. I was going to say that again. The vision is not security camera footage of the future. There are demon locusts in Revelation, okay? Those demon, those demon, lo demon locusts are symbolic. They represent something real. They represent real demonic forces. But don't expect to see demon locusts in, in real time and real space. Okay? That's not how visions work. The vision is, is going to show us reality, but it's going to show it to us through symbols that focus on particular aspects. Maybe the, the best example for this, just so they can understand it clearly, is Satan in, in Revelation. 
Satan is pictured in Revelation symbolically as a dragon or a big snake. Okay? There's significance to that. Why? Because of Genesis chapter 3. And so it's abundantly clear when, when Satan appears in Revelation in the vision and he is called the, the great dragon, okay, and he's described as a dragon, Satan is not only a dragon. I mean, it's not saying literally he's a dragon. It's just saying, listen, this is important for you to think about. He's your enemy and he's trying to devour you. So you need to think about that. And that goes all the way back to Genesis 3. So more on that when we get to Revelation 12. But it's, the vision gives us symbols that connect to reality. The vision is true. It's not idealized because it's the word of God. And John testifies, this is the word of God, okay? So it's not, it's not like, well, this is John's imagination or this is just some kind of like encouraging general, you know, fairy tale to keep the church satisfied in the midst of hard times. No, no, the vision is legit. It's true. And when it refers to the future, it is trustworthy and reliable. And so we wanna, we're going to understand it to be that way. But we have to understand, again, it's not security camera footage. It involves the use of symbols, okay? So that's really important as we go to understand um, how, the, how this uh, genre of literature works. And again, it's not, just, it's not just that it's words, it's the vision. So we see not just here what's going on. Now, just to think about this, um, the fact is truthfulness is emphasized in verse 2. Because John testifies that it's the word of God and it is indeed the testimony of Jesus. It is reliable and it is true. And I want you to hear me very clearly that that's one of the reasons Revelation is so helpful to us. Because it is accurate. right? It is true. And so we need to understand that the spirit of God has gifted this to us here as truth. Not as you know, one option among many or something like that. There are some dangers here though when we, we can kind of get a little skewed on viewing Revelation um, and mistaking, you know, the nature of its truthfulness. First of all, we can, we can just say, you know what, yeah, but it's too confusing, and so I'm not going to really get into the details. Now, Revelation is technical, but we're going to work through it, and it is not beyond us. We, it, again, it was gifted to us so we can understand it. So don't use the excuse that it can be confusing at times to rob yourself of spiritual benefit. Again, we, don't, we, don't, we want to walk away from that danger that says Revelation is just imaginative, pie-in-the-sky thinking, um, if the vision isn't real, then it's not relevant, okay? If this is not what is actually going to go down, it does not benefit us, okay? So let's just save our time. Danger, another danger with regard to questioning the truthfulness of Revelation is believing that maybe Revelation is only relevant to the past. There is one interpretation of Revelation that says everything in the book, including the return of Jesus, already happened. That, that view is, uh, I would call that, like legitimate heresy. Like it's just, it's not accurate and it is not helpful. And so what we don't want to say is all this stuff just happened back in the first century and that's that. That doesn't mean that there aren't symbols used that are primarily relevant to the first century. So there's going to be some imagery that's going to make a ton of sense to people living in the Roman Empire that doesn't make a ton of sense to you and me and we're going to clean that up as we go through it. But, uh, but it's not only in the past, okay? So we'll see some of it has primary relevance to the past, but there's, there's certainly um, a future focus here, especially about the return of Christ. That's the, that's the real sticking point. If people are going to say that Jesus has already returned, um, that's not going to work. So we're, we're just, we're, we have to really kind of push back against that and know that, that his, uh, his return is still yet to come. And finally here, again, if, if, we're not, if we don't believe it's really truthful, we might be tempted to just read it out of curiosity. But we're not tourists here. 
So, you know, we just got to keep that in mind. John testifies, this is the word of God. This is the testimony of Jesus. What I saw, I'm given to you. So John's like, I'm just the messenger. You need this message. Here it is. So Jesus is the giver in the topic of Revelation. He revealed this word to John in a vision via an angel. Why? Watch verse 3. Why does he give it? Well, it's in a blessing. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. There's two blessings given here. The first is to the, to the one who reads the prophecy. In the first century church, uh, like 90% of followers of Jesus would not have been able to read. Okay, So when they gathered for worship, a huge part, right, an emphasis in their gathering was the reading of the Word of God. Because they couldn't read, but they could hear. And so the blessing is given as a double blessing. John says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy because the church needs this message. The church needs this prophecy. The church needs this vision. But secondly, blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy. Now, it's not, he doesn't stop there. It's not just those who hear it. Okay, heard it, cool. No, it's those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it. Blessing comes when we listen to the word of God here in Revelation, but then also as we rightly respond to it. So there's a hearing, and that hearing is intended to come by faith, right? But then that faith leads to transformation, a changed life now. This is where Revelation, we just we get so messed up on it because we're like, oh, it's in the future and who knows when and all that stuff. But John says, no, no, no. You need to know about the finish line because the race is happening. Like right now, you're in it. And you could be wandering and you could be you know, focusing on other things that don't matter. But man, you got to see the finish line. You need to know. Stay in your lane. You know, stay moving forward. Like get after it. Run hard because we're in the race right now. So blessed is the one who reads it aloud and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it. Why? Because the time is near. John didn't know when. We don't know when. But we know that we need to know this vision so that we can run well in the present. You could say it this way. To persevere in the present, we need an eye on the end. To persevere in the present, we need an eye on the end. God did not gift us revelation just so that we would hear it or read it. He gave it to us so that we would be changed by it. Think about that for a second. He's given you the book of Revelation so that you would be changed by it. So that by considering the content of this vision, you would make different choices today. You'll live differently. You'll speak differently. You'll interpret events differently in your life that you're going through, especially persecution, right? You'll have a different perspective on what's going on. You'll have a different perspective on current events. You'll have a different perspective on family challenges, on economic struggles, all of that. To persevere today, we need to have an eye to what's coming tomorrow. And so although we don't get all the answers that we might want, guess what? He's given us what we need to persevere. He's given us what we need to run hard. The burden here is for spiritual growth. Faith that responds with life change. That, that faith that results in life change, right? That's the response to the word. 
And again, just thinking about it being the top of the year here as we look forward to, to this coming year, I mean, we must be burdened for spiritual growth in our own lives. But how is that going to happen? It's going to happen as we, by faith, respond to the word of God. And so here, John straight up says, he says, you will be blessed when we read this in the church aloud, and you will be blessed when you hear it and keep what it says. Now, I fear that for many, the the disconnect is between hearing it and keeping what it says. Because sometimes we're all about hearing it, but we, we stop the process short. We don't actually then live in light of it. We don't keep what he says. Following Jesus is not always and may never have been easy. And so he's like, you need this vision. You need to know what's going on with the big picture, with how it all plays out, because it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Following Jesus isn't easy at work. I know you know that. There are some days, though, when, man, it just comes right to the forefront. And guess what? You need revelation on those days to help you think clearly about your situation at work. Following Jesus is not easy at school today, especially there's so much drama around schools, uh, whether we're talking about, you know, uh, elementary, junior high, high school, middle school, or we're talking about university level. I mean, at all those different levels, there's so much drama Uh, about what schools are teaching, what the philosophical basis is, all of that. And whether you're a student or a teacher or whatever, you need revelation to navigate those waters. Following Jesus is hard in a materialistic, self-centered culture. Not not all that dissimilar from the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. And man, following Jesus isn't easy when you're being made fun of, you're being treated differently, when you're being looked down on because you're a Christian. So guess what? We need this blessing. We need the blessing of Revelation to help us navigate all these different circumstances. To persevere in the present, we need an eye on the end. And knowing what God reveals about the end in Revelation, it brings blessing to those who do something about it. Man, I wish I had a dollar. I, we, we were down with the family in Georgia for Christmas, and, uh, you know, with the cousins and the, you know, my nieces and nephews. And we took, a, you know, we were taking pictures. And so I took a picture of some of the kids. And we took this one picture and it was like, whoa, they grew up fast. And then I was like, I wish I had a dollar for every one of you who said to me, don't blink, Pastor Ryan. They grow up. Have you ever heard anybody say that? They grow up so what? Yeah, stop saying that. No, you can say it because it's true. You know, it's like we blinked and then all of a sudden there they were. And one of my nephews is driving. And I, my, my spiritual life grew. Like, I was praying more now in line of that. Like, that's for sure. So, no, we got in the car. It, the, the best part of it, this is not on topic, but we got in the car, and there was no acknowledgement that he was driving. I looked at my brother-in-law, and I was like, uh, are we letting this happen right now? Like, he's like, yeah, just buckle up. I'm like, okay, all right. No. But honestly, right, here's the reality. The fact is, we are in the race, and life goes by so fast. Blink and they'll be out of the house. That's true. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you have kids or not. The moral of that wisdom is don't waste your time. That's why people say that. They say cherish the moments with the littles because they won't be little for long. 
And, and here with Revelation, part of, part of what's going on in Revelation is, listen, the end is going to be here before you know it. Again, in verse 3, the time is near. So you'll blink and it'll be here. So right now, okay, run the race. Know what you're doing. Don't be casual about your spiritual life. I think if there's one thing we really need to chase hard after in, in, in this coming year, it's to attack this idea that we can be casual about our spiritual health. It's the bonus. It's the extra. It's the after, right? Do you know that from God's perspective, according to the book of Revelation, your spiritual health is the most important aspect of your existence? So you need to treat it as such. And frankly, too often we're worried about we're more worried about losing weight or getting, more, getting the right job or getting the new house or whatever it is than we are worried about growing in our pursuit of Jesus. Revelation kind of clarifies what matters most when push comes to shove. It's tragic. You know, you think about the, in the news, all these wildfires that went through Colorado just recently. I read over a thousand homes were destroyed, you know. And every once in a while, you know, you'll talk through that or maybe imagine that moment in your mind. Like, if there was a fire in my house, what would I grab? right? Like, what, what are the things that would be so significant? It'd be like, you have to get out right now. I mean, I saw the pictures of houses, and they just lost everything. You know, this, Revelation's kind of like that. It's like, listen, what would you grab? Like, what, what really matters? When push comes to shove, when the, when the fire is raging, when the spiritual environment is very difficult, okay, when it's, when it's tough, when, when all that's going down, what would you grab? What matters most? What's most significant? To persevere in the present, we need an eye on the end, that blessing. So ask yourself these questions. Are you living in light of the end? Again, not just with fascination or curiosity about when is the end. You just need to know the end is near. And that could be tomorrow or it could be 2,000 more years. But are you living in light of it today? Are you planning your days in light of the end? Are you making account of your time, right? Consideration of the fact that the end is near. I got to tell you, I, I firmly believe we cannot go wrong when we invest in the mission of the gospel in God's kingdom. I do fear that we can waste our time and not invest in God's kingdom. And we can budget our time poorly, right? I mean, that's part of it. I wonder, are you speaking to others in a way that reflects God's purpose for history? Are you speaking to others in light of the end? Does it influence how you talk to people, what you talk to them about? Are you relating to your family in light of the end? I mean, sometimes there are conversations, especially in a family, that we know we need to have, and we're just procrastinating. But can I just encourage you? The time is near. Like, have the conversation. Do the work that you need to do to love your family well, to honor Christ. Same could be said of our relationships at work and at school. Even with money, are you stewarding, stewarding your money in light of the end? Again, we're so, we often get so focused, especially as we get uh, into seasoned adulthood, right? We get so focused on our retirement accounts and the, the number that we need to, you know, to retire and all that stuff. And again, be wise. I think we've got to be wise and plan for that. But your retirement isn't the end game. This is the end game, right? Are you stewarding your money in light of the end? 
The danger here is that we would be people who merely hear or read Revelation, but do not keep what is written in it. And while we rightly, I mean, and rightly, we focus often on the fact that God does not love or accept us, just as we did during the table today. God does not love or accept us in light of our performance, right? It is important for us to ask, do I believe and is my belief genuinely resulting in transformation? Another word for transformation is obedience. Am I believing what God has said and therefore am I obeying what God has said? And so in Revelation, we will talk a lot about obedience. We're going to talk about keeping what is written in it. And all the while, as we talk about it, we're talking to believers about responding in faith to the Word of God. If I believe God, then I respond with obedience. There's an acknowledgement we need to make, though. Perhaps the first way you might keep what is written in this book is to believe the gospel. Because if you're here this morning, right, or you're watching this sermon online, and you are not a follower of Jesus... There's a warning for you in Revelation, but there is no blessing. Right? If you're not a follower of Jesus, what's revealed about God's judgment of the world is very, very scary. And there's, there's a call here to say, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. You know, sometimes we talk about that, being on the wrong side of history. You don't want to be on the wrong side of history, ultimately. You want to be safe with the family of God. So, Maybe you're here and you can't obey because you haven't believed. And so I would call you today to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus. Because we are in the end times. And the time is near. Now, believing doesn't, mean, doesn't merely mean trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. It also means submitting to Jesus as the Lord of your life. And so maybe today is day one for you, for being forgiven and then keeping what is written, right? Following Jesus as Lord. But for the rest of us, those who are followers of Jesus, the same call still applies. Hear these words, but also respond with obedience, right? Let that faith result in transformation. Satan wants you to do anything but be blessed by this book. It's like he has to deal with it because it's here. So he's like, well, okay, we can deal with it. Just don't be blessed by it. He will, he will want you to just be curious about eschatology and the end times. Just leave it there, he would say. He's going to shower you with charts. Like, I got charts for you. You know, chronologies, timelines. He might want you to be disinterested in Revelation because it's so weird and wacky. It is. One of the words for wacky is another word is, you know, uh, is Revelation. Apocalyptic, right? Like it's wacky. It is weird. There are parts of it that are unusual to us. But God gave it to us to bless us. Satan wants you to live your life hoping this isn't true. That there is no God and there is no judgment at the end. Many people in our culture, that's their baseline. Man, I just hope none of that stuff is true. Satan wants you to roll your eyes at Revelation. And let the warning go in one ear and out the other. But here's the truth. One day we'll get to a certain point in history where we won't be reading Revelation, we'll be living it. It will be actually happening. In the meantime, Jesus has gifted us this vision from him about him. Why? So that we would be blessed. Take it from my friend Jonathan Edwards. Back in the 1700s, he said, Revelation matters. 
This is how he said it. He said, nor is it to be believed that God would have given instructions in such abundance, talking about revelation, if he had intended that receiving instruction should be only a by-concern to us. He basically says, you know, God wouldn't have given us these glorious 22 chapters if we were just supposed to ignore them. He wouldn't have given it to us if it was like, ah, yeah, this is like the bonus part, right? And here's the deal. Just because at the end doesn't mean it's an appendix. It's not an appendix. God gave it to us because we need it. Why? Because we need to persevere in the present. How are we going to do that? By keeping an eye on the end. Would you pray with me? And we'll ask God to bless us as we read and respond to Revelation. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you speak and you have spoken in many times and in many ways through the prophets. Lord, we confess that you have spoken most clearly today in your Son. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this revelation that is from you and about you. And Lord, we thank you that it's trustworthy and reliable. And Lord, we thank you that it is a means of blessing in our lives. Lord, forgive us for not keeping you at the center. Lord, forgive us for being casual about our spiritual growth. Lord, forgive us for shallow wants and desires and letting those reign and rule over us on a daily basis. Lord, forgive us for forgetting about the end in our church community, in our, in our work community, in our school community. Lord, of just living in light of trivial things rather than living in light of what you've called us to. Lord, forgive us for distraction. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to persevere today in faith. And we pray that our time spent reading the book of Revelation, hearing the book of Revelation, would result in us keeping what is written in it. And Lord, maybe today we already know where our struggle is going to be. And so we ask that you would help us to confess our sin, to repent of it, to be comforted by the truth of the gospel, that we are forgiven in Christ. And Lord, we ask that you would equip us now to walk by faith, even this very day. Lord, may we glorify you by responding rightly to the book of Revelation. We ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.